things as those who would be those who are hearers of those creeds. One, to believe them in our hearts, and two, to confess them with our mouths. That's the purpose of these creeds, and they have served then for the church throughout all the world, throughout all the ages, as a way of doing exactly that, of believing the faith and of confessing the faith, and that has gone on from generation to generation. Now, if you haven't been with us, then that first word, credo, that I use for us is a rather odd word. It is, in fact, a very simple word. It comes from the Latin. It comes from the very first word of the Apostles' Creed in Latin. And it means simply, I believe. It's a word that has a variety of words in English that come from it, including creed. So it is actually not that strange of a word. But tonight, what we're focusing on is, I believe, credo, in Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary. That Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary is no mere tidbit in the biblical teaching. It's not a little factoid that is presented to us just so that it can be interesting to us or puzzling to us. It is not just some dot on the Christian landscape that we've confessed together for years But instead, it's part of what has been called the irreducible articles of the faith. That's what these creeds are. They are the irreducible articles of the Christian faith. So the clear testimony of the Bible from the passages that we have just read and others, and the clear testimony of not only the Bible but then of the church, is that, in fact, Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. And virgin means virgin. That's clear in both of the passages that have just been read for us. There's no ambiguity. There's confusion in Mary. There's confusion in Joseph because she is, in fact, a virgin. Virgin means virgin, and this is the history of what has taken place. Notice this. Much of the history of the life of Christ is not contained in the Apostles and the Nicene Creed. In fact, when you think about it, very little of the history of the life of Christ is contained within those creeds. It starts with the beginning in the parts of it that I've already said for us or confessed for us that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. But what's the next line? What's the next line of the Apostles' Creed? You know it and suffered under Pontius Pilate. We, we have in these creeds of the church two markers. We, we have the beginning of the life of Jesus, and we have the end of the life of Jesus. Now, I trust that you will understand that that in no way negates what comes in between those, the very life of our Lord. The fact that it doesn't say anything about his baptism or his temptation or his teachings or his miracle or his calling of the disciples or of his transfiguration or triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Those are part and parcel of the faith, but what the creeds are saying is, listen, if you want to understand who Jesus is and why Jesus came into the world, then you have to make sure to get the beginning and the end of his life clear because They frame everything else about his life. God wants you to know. The church, for thousands of years, 
wants you to know that Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary. And the question that I have for us tonight is, why? Why is that important for us to know? Why does God want us to know that? Why does the church want us to know that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary? So just a few thoughts on that question this evening. First, that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary enables us to see the humanness of our mighty Lord Jesus. I would like to use the word humanity, but humanity usually refers to character. And so I want to use this, I, this word that's a little bit awkward. The humanness of Jesus is on display. When we read that he was born of the Virgin Mary, he is made of the stuff that we are made of. He is one of us. He came to the world, into the world, through this birth. Everything that is of the essence of being a human being is true of Jesus. Our Savior had to be born of a woman. That was the old, that was the ancient and oft-repeated promise that was found in Scripture that this child would come, and that this child who would come into the world would in fact be a descendant of Adam and of Eve, of Noah and his wife, of Abraham and Sarah, of Isaac and Rebekah, of Jacob and of Leah, of Judah and of Tamar, of Boaz and of Ruth, of David and of Bathsheba. And finally, that this one would come into the world through a virgin who was betrothed, but who was not yet wed. Jesus is a man. Jesus is a human because according to the plan of God Almighty, and we've already read it in the very text that we began our service with tonight, we need, we require a man to save us, and God has promised to send one into the world who would be born of the woman, who would be of her offspring, who would in fact be our Savior. We need a man. We need one to come, the Son of Man, to come in the flesh. He must come into the world in the flesh. He must take on that flesh, and in the flesh, as a man, he must live a perfectly obedient life, keeping all of the law of God. He must die in the flesh as penalty for the sin of mankind, and he must be raised in the flesh as well, and he must ascend up into heaven with that same flesh. He has to be in flesh because it has to be a man who saves us. And now, with his flesh and blood in heaven, there's a man who sits in that place. If you weren't with us last week or if you were with us last Sunday, remember that we talked about the fact that as he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, we see what is emphasized there is the fact that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He is holy. He is other. He is of the same essence, of the same stuff of the Father. He is, in that sense, an outsider. He is from outside of our sinful race as he is conceived by the Holy Spirit. But as he is born of the Virgin Mary, 
He is the son of man. He's an insider. He is one of us. He's human. Second, that he was born of the Virgin Mary puts us squarely into the realm of human impossibility. Virgins don't conceive and give birth to a son. We are squarely in the room, uh, in, the, in the realm of what is impossible for humans, and we are squarely within the realm of divine power, of the supernatural, of that which is miraculous. We don't apologize for that because, frankly, that's exactly where we need to be. That's, that's exactly where God wants us to be and takes us in the virgin birth. When we think about our Savior, when we think about salvation, when we think about Christmas, the words of the angel Gabriel that we have already read tonight, they have to ring. They have to ring throughout the world. They have to ring in our hearts as well. And those words were, for nothing is impossible with God. That has to be there. That's the spirit and the confession of Christmas. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, if you are familiar with your Bible, you recognize those words because those are words that were spoken to Sarah some 2,000 years before they were spoken to Mary. And you also recognize them from something else. You recognize them that when Jesus was an adult, he would have a conversation with a man who was seeking to be saved. And Jesus, in that conversation, would set the bar for being saved what seemed to be the, to the disciples who were listening to the conversation impossibly high. Jesus told this man to do things that seemed that it would be impossible for any human to do. And so the disciples, in overhearing this, they turn to Jesus after the man had gone away sad, and they say to Jesus, well, who then can be saved? And the answer of our Lord is this. With a man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That the virgin should conceive and give birth to the eternal Son of God for our salvation is, humanly speaking, incredible. Incredible. Credible, believable. Believe, right? From credo, from that same word. Incredible. It is not believable, humanly speaking. But with God, all things are possible. And so the possible becomes the actual. The actual becomes the accomplished. And then the incredible becomes for us the credible, that which is believable. Third, that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary shows to us the glorious humility of our Lord. He was rich beyond splendor, and yet for our sakes he humbled himself. He became poor so that you through his poverty, might become rich. Thomas Vincent reminds us, he was born 
not of a great princess, but of a mean virgin. Mean here meaning ordinary, nothing special. Not in a stately palace, but in the stable of an inn, and instead of a cradle, he was laid in a manger. Nothing was clean about it except the Holy One who was laid in that dirty manger. J. Gresham Machen was the founder of Westminster Theological Seminary, published in 1929, a massive work. It's a 400-page work. It's called The Virgin Birth of Christ, a classic defense of the supernatural birth of our Lord. I read, frankly, much of that book in preparation for this evening's sermon, and I can tell you that you can read many, many pages in Machen's very scholarly look and interaction with critical scholars who don't believe in the virgin birth, who don't believe what the Bible say, says, and seek to explain it away. You can read in vain searching for an exclamation point. And it will be very hard to find them until you come to the end. When we read the end here, or towards the end at least, this is what Machen says. The eternal Son of God, he through whom the universe was made, did not despise the virgin's womb! Exclamation point. Lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb. What a wonder is there! Exclamation point. It is not strange that it has always given offense to the natural man, but in that wonder we find God's redeeming love, and in that babe who lay in Mary's womb we find our Savior, who thus became man to die for our sins and to bring us into peace with God. His humility. He did not despise, he did not abhor a mean virgin's womb. And so then, my friends, the historical fact that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary shows us in the first place his humanness. He is the Son of Man. He is like us in every respect except for sin. Secondly, it shows us human impossibility and the power of divine possibility. And finally then, as we just said, the virgin birth shows to us his humility. And all together, put all those together, what they bring into a sad and weary and dark and sinful world is hope. It is good news. It is good news of great joy that Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary. Now think of this. Who knew that? You know it now. The church has known it for thousands of years. Who knew it at first? Just two people. Two people to whom the angel had come. We don't read that they told anybody else right at that moment because it would have been hard for a lot of people to believe and understand at that point. There are two people who know that story. Joseph knows it and Mary knows it. Now maybe Mary told Elizabeth, but Joseph and Mary... Those are the ones who know it. And their response is the response that we need to have as well. Their response is, Credo. I believe. 
I believe what the angel has spoken to me. Machen concludes his great book with this sentence. Only one Jesus is presented in the word of God, and that Jesus did not come into the world by ordinary generation, but was conceived in the womb of the Virgin by the Holy Ghost, period. If I was the editor, I would change the period. <laughs> Put an exclamation point there, Mr. Dr. Machen, because that's a truth to be believed. Humanly speaking, that is incredible. But with God, all things are possible. This is accomplished, and it is credible. Treat the virgin birth as a myth to the peril of your soul. Believe the virgin birth as truth from God who does the impossible in this world unto your life. May God grant us grace this night to be able to say, Credo, I believe.